1: Hi, everyone. This is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the Be Here Now Network. And my guest today is Sarah Marshank. Sarah, hello.
2: Hi, Chris. Hi.
1: So I am super excited to have this conversation with you, Sarah. You've written an incredible book that you were kind enough to gift to me when I met you and your husband, Stephen, in Maui at an incredible Ram Dass retreat back in 2016, um, which we hopefully can have time to talk about later on. But more importantly, I want to discuss you, your work, your book, and then we'll see what time allows for after that. Uh, But first things first, your bio. Sarah Marshank, M-E-D, is the founder of Self History, a comprehensive, integrative educational system for mastering the art of being human. She is the author of Being Selfish, My Journey from Escort to Monk to Grandmother. Based in the San Francisco Bay Area, Sarah teaches and speaks internationally, offers online courses, consults with corporate clients, and works one-on-one with individuals. Sarah's high-level training as an educator makes her an effective and impactful facilitator, but the embodied presence she brings comes from spending 10 years in retreat. Her life's purpose, articulated and expressed through self integrates Eastern and Western philosophy and psychology with meditative and somatic practices. Self history masterfully guides practitioners to a deep encounter with self a lowercase self and self capital S self. And you can learn more about Sarah and her work with self history at www. And that's spelled S like Sam, E L F I S like Sam, T like Tom, ryselfhistory.com Sarah thank you so much for being with me today it's a pleasure so I know in the bio we touched or scratched the surface of self history and we I know we'll spend probably the majority of this uh, conversation talking about your book which is um, as I've told you captivating and uh, fascinating and joyous and heartbreaking and just runs the gamut of all things uh, all emotions it's wonderful but before we did that i know what you're currently focused on and your main point of passion is self so i'd love to start there if you can elaborate a bit more on um again what we what was mentioned in the bio you know talk about the work what led you to it and and why it is your passion and what people can expect from that
2: beautiful and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. Um, oh, my pleasure. Selfistry, Yeah, self-history is like my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk about my story a little bit more and my journey that I wrote about in the book, which is a memoir. Yeah. But self-history was really born out of my 10 years in retreat and out of the discovery and the experience that I had there um, as you know, I have a master's degree in education, so I'm essentially an educator. Mm. That's my, one of my superpowers, and I specialize in human development, which is, you know, the combination between our spirituality and our psychology, um, which is one of the things I really love about you and the work you do as right. well. We don't separate those. We're we're about integrating them.
1: Right. Well, so, thanks. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, self, it is cool. So, so self-history is a system that I developed that has a map and a method. So, I kind of map out what I call an upcycled version of religion and spirituality and the wisdom traditions, especially the esoteric ones. And um, so, it's a map of our human existence. Um, it has three pillars the source center which is emptiness or capital s self right right it right. has the witness which is our self-awareness and our capacity that and maybe we'll talk about this that ken wilbur does speak about in the evolution of human consciousness mm. but it's also mm. something that gets cultivated through a meditation practice such as vipassana sure. so it's that right. the witness part of us that kind of for me can help Uh, navigate and orient how I do the artistry of my life. And then the third realm is the self small s, which is our exquisite, unique, human, crazy, funky, beautiful, glorious human self. And I I isolate those three realms in the map and the method is basically a way to get, become more intimate with ourselves in each of these realms so that we can integrate them in the artistry of ourselves. Selfistry is art, artistry of the self, right? Mm -hmm. So we can find this juicy way of being human and it has a, actually it has a somatic practice, which is a movement practice. Um, and a meditation practice, which is more the stillness practice. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, so I have, you'll see on my website, I have online courses, evergreen courses that I just completed that are really exciting. Mm-hmm. I ha- and then I do live events where I teach workshops and retreats. And, and as you mentioned, I do some corporate consulting, which is really bringing a new life to bringing personal development into the workplace. Because we know that that impacts the bottom line, not just for the business, but for the whole culture.
1: So important.
2: So important. Yeah. So that's kind of an overview. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, it makes total sense. And what I love is that you're integrating all aspects of the human experience. And I'm jumping ahead a little but I remember at one point in your book, which um, we'll get to, but where you have the realization that you've been taking very good care of yourself spiritually but not physically you know you you were negating or or lacking in that part of your life and i know a lot you know you're not terminally unique in that and i i experienced it many of us do it's it's what you know a lot of people call spiritual bypassing or even to go deeper uh chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche wrote one of my all-time favorite books cutting through spiritual materialism which i try to read that once a year just to put myself back in check you know because Chris little s chris likes to really you know like think hey you're doing great on this path and and then i get through one or two chapters of that and it's just like oh shit but in a good way so i love that you're incorporating that you know and and you mentioned ken and and that makes me think somewhat of um you know how he talks about waking up growing up and cleaning up and how we see all of these scandals that happen with quote-unquote teachers from various lineages and because they're only focusing on one area of their Development, not an integrative approach to all of it. So I think self history sounds absolutely incredible. I personally look forward to, you know, delving deeper into it myself. And I can say, even not having done that work with you specifically, just from being in your presence along with uh, your husband, Stephen, like I mentioned earlier, in Maui. a total heart connection, you know, and that's undeniable. So, um, without even doing the work, I can certainly vouch for it and cannot encourage listeners to check out your website and explore that further. Um, and again, I'm very excited to do so myself, which I will do just while a book launch is happening on my end. It's a little tricky, but you know, that's, that's a whole nother, another conversation. Speaking of books, being selfish. Um, an unorthodox memoir, my journey from escort to monk to grandmother. I mean, <laughs> that kind of says it all right there. Like, who's who's going to read that and not be interested, right? So what I wanted to do, um, it's basically it's broken down into six sections. So I, I want to go section by section with you. There's multiple chapters. But what I wanted to do was just give a, an overview of each of the sections and then allow you to go wherever you feel moved to go with that, and we can talk about whatever you like. But before I even jumped into the first section, I wanted to read the actual description of the book from the back jacket, because I think that really will help uh, the audience to get a, a, a even better feel. I mean, again, that title and subtitle, wonderful. Um, but just to give a little more depth to the book, um, it reads... In Being Selfish, we meet Sarah facing a second unplanned pregnancy at the age of 22. Her conservative Jewish, politically liberal, middle class American upbringing fails to provide her with meaningful comfort or guidance. Depressed and disillusioned, she sets out on a 20 year pilgrimage to explore sex, God, and herself. Her forays into Orthodox Judaism, the sex trade, and new age spirituality don't satisfy the depth of her longing for authenticity then she meets sam a new york baby boomer churned monk living a life unplugged from society in remote rural oregon when sarah realizes what sam is up to she abandons her careers friends and family to dive into a disciplined life of meditation yoga fasting and silence it wasn't her original tension to spend a decade in isolation, but that's what it took for Sarah to discover who she really is, though not without paying a price. Being selfish is an inspirational, illuminating, and intimate memoir. Sarah's unorthodox story, told with unflinching candor and wry humor, will appeal to all those interested in the messy busyness of finding their unique path and purpose in life. And I love that line, um, with unflinching candor. You know, that's that that's a perfect way of wording it. You and I spoke before we started recording and um, and I think I might have actually used that word. Um, I also find it poignant and and captivating and just uh, an exceptional book. So let's 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 dive right into it. The first section is uh, titled Broken. Now, again, there are, there are numerous chapters, but you have these six sections. So you, you title uh, the, the beginning of the book with Broken. And again, this is just a very short summary. There is much more in these sections. Um, but I just pulled out some of the highlights um, that I took away. And, uh, and again, we'll leave it to you to, to go with it wherever you'd like. But in Broken, you recount, you know, it begins with your second unplanned pregnancy and you're struggling with what to do with that um you're spending time with family you know which seems to uh escalate the despair that you're experiencing for the most part it's it's not all bad but you know it's pretty obvious you're having some difficulties there um you're also you know evaluating what it means to be an orthodox Jew in your life and not sure what that really means um and again so that's just setting the stage so why don't you go ahead and you know Discuss whatever you like about that section.
2: Well, first of all, I just want to say that your comment about candor is really um, important. I want to just underscore that because one of the things I love about you and your work and our connection is there's a certain rawness and authenticity that the world is yearning for. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, um, you know, talking the talk. we're walking the walk in the sense of we really are being as real and as authentic as we can about everything no holds barred and that's really refreshing um so yeah so i love that about your work as well
1: well thank you it's it's i think what people are desperately searching for right now so that's why again i can't recommend your book enough but thank you for the kind words
2: yeah. And that's where my story starts, really, is that I can't find that in the world. You know, I'm 22 years old, and all of us, all the listeners out there, have a moment, right, in our lives where we go, What the, you know, how, how did I get here? How do I, what choice do I make from here? What decision? How do I do, how do I do this thing called being human? Yeah. And so there is this place inside of me that, at that young age, which is, was the start of my quest, you could say, or my seeking, was that moment of, it wasn't so much that I was, um, um, it wasn't so much which choice was the right choice. Mm-hmm. Should I have this child or should I not have this child? It was more, the question was more, from where inside mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. I choose? You know, it goes back to that inquiry, like, who am I? Who made the choice in the first place to have sex with these guys and have, and get pregnant, right? Sure, right. And then who's making the choice now of how to proceed in my life? And how do I locate that, the deepest, most authentic, most true knowing of myself so that I can live with whatever choice I make mm-hmm. and really rest in that, really resonate not second guess it not have remorse not have regret there might be grief and heartbreak because you know you make one choice you have you choose chocolate over vanilla and you're just not going to have vanilla so it's okay to grieve the loss of the vanilla but to really own the choice of the chocolate being the right choice for me
1: so i love that that. oh yeah yeah and that's um it's like you're almost uh pulling a Ramana Maharshi yet before even knowing about Ramana Maharshi right who am i what where is this decision coming from that's so beautiful and um and i think that that's something so many people struggle with yet either one they don't take the time to explore it or two they just they're so consumed with what's outside not with the inner self um that, you know, it just, it gets buried and buried. And I know for myself, that was part of the case, but also I buried it intentionally through drugs and alcohol because I wasn't at a place where I was ready to explore that. And thank God I am here. Like, I love what you said about grieving, um, because even when I decided to lay down the drugs and the alcohol, there was a very sincere grieving experience. And then, you know, I, I suffered numerous relapses after that initial decision, and every time there was grieving because it's like losing a best friend but it's making that decision and exploring where is that decision coming from inside of myself um which i love you point that out and then yes allowing whatever needs to occur from there to occur and in many cases grieving of course yeah so so yeah um and I also wanted to to talk if you're comfortable with it a little bit more because you you seem to i I wouldn't say crisis of faith is right but you know you're really exploring your your heritage in Judaism at this point um and it seems though you don't go too deeply into your childhood in the book but but uh, you know it becomes pretty apparent that that was something that's taken rather seriously in your family and and was deeply instilled with you can you talk about that because it seems like and again, not knowing the, the story before really this point, it seems like this is uh, maybe not necessarily the first time, but a point in your life where you're really beginning to question, what does this even mean, you know?
2: Yeah. Beautiful question. I think that for me, so I was raised conservative, not orthodox. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So I was raised conservative. It was more of a cultural, you know, communal Identification or connection sure. to the sure. religion. But like you said earlier, what it ended up being for me was more what you said about you know making decisions from the outside, right? We're so busy following other people's ideas, whether it's religion or our parents or our friends or 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 what we're seeing on Facebook or mm-hmm. that we don't take the time to be selfish in the wisest sense. I make this distinction because selfistry, being selfish. You know, being selfish isn't a very popular thing, and yet we all are selfish. And so so I try to make this distinction between what the Dalai Lama calls being wisely selfish, where we can take the time to spend some time to know ourselves, our truest selves, right? That's buried, like you said, buried. And we often bury it ourselves because we don't know better because we're scared of it we don't know which voices to listen to because because what if that voice tells us to you know end our marriage or move away or become a monk right, right. it's yeah. it's it's disorienting and so when my when my life hit the skids at that second pregnancy and i had this crisis of life of faith of everything and i knew i needed to find the answers for myself I figured the first place to start was go back to my ancestral roots to see if maybe underneath the superficial expression of the religion which is very beautiful and very meaningful to a lot of people sure. I don't want yeah. to in any way diminish that but to see for me, was there something in the Kabbalah and the esoteric teaching of the orthodox way of being Jewish that could answer and touch that deepest place inside of me? And in the end, it did not hold me, but there were a lot of things and still are. And you speak to this, too. In every religion, there are threads and and gems and jewels of wisdom and of meaning and of beauty that I do carry from the Jewish faith. Yeah. Um, so that's what I have to say about me and my Jewish heritage and I though I do love the Hebrew language and speak it fluently so oh, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> and and,
1: I, and and yes I I I you know realize we're both very similar in honoring you know and again we'll talk about a painting you did later on of a turtle uh, but honoring you know these great wisdom traditions and how what what I consider at their more mystical core, like you mentioned Kabbalah or maybe Zen in Buddhism or uh, mystic Christianity, Sufism, whatever the case may be, though they are speaking in their own ways and using their own terminology. Uh, it's all pointing in the same direction, you know, and in a way it's saying very similar, if not identical at times things. And that's, you know, that's beautiful. Um, and that's what I love about these great wisdom traditions. Yet, I understand why people, especially the younger generations, which is where I do a lot of my work, are so jaded towards the idea. Why wouldn't you be? You look at what's going on in the world today. I get that, you know, so... It's a tricky thing to learn to meet people where they are. But then it's so inspiring also, like at that Ram Dass retreat we were at. I was shocked at how many younger people were there. Um, at the integral conference I just spoke at, again, shocked at how many younger people. Because, you know, I, I think Ken and Ram Dass, they're my they're my two, like, big teachers outside of the... You know the the classics like Nagarjuna or Shankara or you know in Chogim Trunpa, but the contemporary teachers they're they're it for me. Ken stuff I think is can be much headier than Ram Dass's because with Ram Das it's it's all love it's the soul it's all love it's the soul like and that's great and you can't go wrong with that yes yeah, so, yeah my head to heart you know um, from, role
2: to soul, from role to soul yeah <laughs> and i
1: love that right and then yeah. ken too you know but ken saying a lot of similar things just in more technical ways at times um and and to see though that that's resonating with younger people is wonderful um and so necessary um And I had a a conversation with one of the people at Integral while there, and and we're going to be starting this small think tank. We've actually already had conversations since then about making these teachings more accessible. And I got to spend time with Ken at his loft pre-conference, and he recognizes as well, like, you know, the materials there, and all he considers himself really is a map maker more than anything. And let's make these maps um, accessible to people so that they can show up and we can hopefully turn things around before it's too late cuz you know that that damn doomsday <laughs> clock it keeps getting closer and closer to midnight <laughs>
2: yeah. It kind of lights the fire underneath our butts to get us, you know, people like you and I who are teachers to to really move forward with this work. And I think one of the things that you bring um, forward, especially with Ken Wilber's work, is that, you know, at one point in human history, religion provided that meaning-making, that esoteric, sure. that guidance sure. on all levels. And we're just at a point in human, we're at a turning. And Ken yes. speaks to this turning. Yep. And so, and what I love about, I, one of the things I love about you, and what I love about what you said about, you know, Ken and Ram Das, who are your core teachers, you can say, and I would say they're in that posse for me as well, is they're uniquely themselves. Yes. In the expression of that core truth, just like you are uniquely yourself in the authentic expression of that core truth, and where Ken brings a map, Ramdas might bring more the heart level, other practices, but they're all kind of guiding us back to this, you know, perennial question of what does it mean to be human now in twenty eighteen? Yes.
1: Right? so well said it just makes me think of you know there are many paths to that mountaintop you know which way you're going to get there and that's why I loved I think one of the highlights for me from that Ram Das retreat was when he and Sharon were up on stage together and you know how Ram Dass used, loves to use the word soul and in Buddhism you know that like, can be a questionable term <laughs> Yes, and so to see them kind of banter back and forth um, very heartwarming because it's done from a very loving way and yet they you know they honor and respect that at the end of the day, they're both like Ram Das would say, walking each other home and trying to help each other walk one another home. And you know, and yes, I I'm speaking in you know uh dualistic relative terms right now, but like you said earlier about witnessing and uh another great teaching, um witnessing oneness, unity, uh All stuff that I think we'll get deeper into as this conversation goes further on, because, you know, your exploration definitely leads you deeper into all of these queries. And um, so moving on, the next section is titled Open. And for me, what I took away is it seems where your exploration starts to really deepen. Not to say it wasn't deep to begin with, but it's starting to deepen. Um, you know, you're talking about the practice of yoga and going to therapy and exploring um, your physicality and sexuality and romantic relationships and, of course, the frustrations that those can bring. And then there's, you know, the the reality of God and your... Um, your being exposed to Carlos Castaneda Um, you're also it's your first introduction to Ron Dawson be here now and you're reclaiming your sexuality and learning about that or at least beginning to so again I I know I just threw a ton of shit at you (laughs) but like like I said you know this is um this is all just the tip of the iceberg that's all I'm offering is like a, a brief synopsis of each of these sections so with all of that, in that section open, what, what do you what would you like to convey about that or, or what messages or what comes up for you as you revisit that part of your life that you'd like to share with the audience?
2: I think it comes down to this, it open says it, this this wonder, this curiosity, and even what you were saying earlier about soul. And so for me, what the openness in my journey was about was like, okay, I'm obviously lost and confused and heartbroken and depressed, okay? Like, first of all, admit, I'm fucked up, you know? Yeah. Something, something feels wrong. And then it's like, okay, be open to finding the answers. Anywhere that they show up like I have this deep faith and trust that the universe is fundamentally friendly and that I have the capacity to figure this out if I just put my time and attention on it. So what I like to say to people and I say this to my students a lot is it's just be open and curious mm-hmm. and and a word like soul, for example, instead of thinking we know what that means, be willing to explore and experiment and discover, well, what is my What is soul? Do I even like what is that, or or what is my sexuality, or what are the foods that make my body feel good, or what are the books I really want to read, or the movies I want to see, or you know? So it it speaks to more the the personality, the self, small s, and the willingness to get uncomfortable, to meet our heartbreak, to meet the pain, um, and to really just open to what's possible.
1: Yeah, I absolutely love that. Um so with you you also talk about like I'd mentioned castaneda and be here now in this section. And I think that complements exactly what you were just saying. So at this point in your journey, as you're really, you know, you're learning to open and 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 find what you can where you can, which is something I too talk quite a bit about and and I you know, I talk like I mentioned to you earlier pre-recording I believe but you know I go into a youth mental health facility and it's so important to meet not just youth anyone but I find especially with younger people meet them where they're at so I will often use concerts or skateboarding as examples because you absolutely can find spirituality and you know capital S self there as Ken Wilber would say spirit imbues all things at all times and he's not you know the first to say that you look at probably the mystic element of all great wisdom traditions and whatever wording it's the manifest all arises out of unmanifest you know and so it's 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 all um interbeing with one another as Thich Hans and some master might say um but so what was what was the influence at that time of of Castaneda and Ram Dass if 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 there really was a major impact, or were you just kind of reading it, and um, and there wasn't much of an impact?
0: <laughs>
2: No, I would say both of them had huge impact on me, and I would say, and you you can see this as you follow the trajectory of my journey from that point on, is what they were pointing me to, right? What they were pointing to was similar to what Ramana Maharshi, who also feels like a core teacher to me, was sure, pointing sure. to, and you mentioned the self-inquiry, which is, you're, I'm not, we're not, you're not, your thoughts, your feelings or your sensations, right? You are not those things, Sarah. And those things are are exi- You mentioned the duality, right? Yeah. Your personality, mm-hmm. your self, small s is real, relatively real, but that doesn't mean just because it's relative doesn't mean it's not real. Right. right? right. Just, and so I think Carl Castaneda and Don Juan and I read the books, you know, all of those books and did the practices in them. And I even was able to meet Carlos later in life before he died. No I suddenly, kidding. Yeah. I went to a tensegrity event, which was the the body based practices that the witches, which is were, were his women, queens or you know apprentices. It's unclear what the relationship was, sure. but but so I felt and and I've got to meet Ram Das as well, which is kind of cool um, and spend time with him now as a deep beloved elder in my life and always both of them are pointing me towards this fundamental ground of being Mm -hmm. this this essential self that has really nothing to do with sarah and any of her life story but is the root of that and so i think sometimes chris you could probably relate to this we are reaching out for that peace right Mm -hmm. and trying to fix sarah right And and we have to attend to her we don't want to do spiritual bypass right but but my journey led me really, and you'll see in the next right phase of the book when I meet Sam is like okay, let's find that that core sense of self capitalist the stillness and the silence at the ground mm. of all being.
1: So and we'll, then oh,
2: happens. Yeah.
1: Before we jump into that. Um, I love because we've mentioned witnessing a few times and some people listening might not be quite familiar with what that is. You know, Ken calls it witnessing awareness. Ram Dass calls it loving awareness. Um, basically the same thing. They're just wording it a bit differently. Um, but I remember I think I would first read about it from Ram Dass and I don't recall if it's Be Here Now or The Only Dance There Is or, you know, whichever book it was of his. But he talks about, you know, this practice of impartially witnessing yourself. It's almost like, say, you're walking down a sidewalk and you're behind yourself in a way, just watching, not judging, you know, like good or bad, negative, whatever, just with a, with a, with an impartial curiosity, like, oh, that's interesting. You know, this emotion comes up, good or bad. Wow, that's fascinating. You know, like Chris is feeling this or Chris is feeling that or, you know, Chris sees this attractive woman or this unattractive woman and he's processing it or you know whatever the case may be chris is, wants an ice cream oh how fascinating like um what's your experience been with that is it similar and and if so like for someone listening who's interested what what would if if you were to give a basic instruction on it how would you offer it to them
2: i love it i love that description that it's so Um, articulates how I experience the witness self and it's Mm -hmm. such a core it's the core pillar I say it's the secret sauce of self history and what I would say and I'll tell you why because when I when I did meet Sam and decided to really engage in a very intense meditation daily practice for years was I didn't I wasn't taught about the witness what happened was that's what I discovered. Like Ram Das and Carlos Castaneda and all these teachers were saying, you're not your thoughts, Sarah. You're not your emotions and you're not your physical sensations. And then the question is, well, then who am I, yeah. right? So you sit quietly, I'm a, for me, it was a sitting practice, a sitting quietly, and that's what I teach, I recommend that. As I mentioned, there's a sitting practice and a movement practice, but the sitting kind of calms the nervous system. It eliminates a lot of the external distractions and the body being involved and the sight being involved, and and, and there's this just settling into this place inside of me that sees my thoughts happening, that notices my feelings, my emotion, whatever I'm having, and 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 my sensations in my body and I don't do anything about any of them I just keep sitting there and then you sit long enough and you just become the witness yeah. you just and then there's like this relief I don't know if you can relate to this like yeah. oh my god I don't have I don't have to follow any of those thoughts I don't have to believe any of those feelings I don't have to worry about any of those sensations but I can yeah. if I yeah. want to move into the ones that feel you know creative that feel genuine to me that going back to that authentic self you know those that thought actually resonates You right
1: see I love that and it does that's how I experienced it as well it's not that necessarily the thoughts go away or the feelings go away but there's this even it Minuscule, slight, uh, spaciousness that I experience that allows you to feel those feelings or experience those thoughts, but not identify with them. Uh, you're almost able, from that witnessing perspective, to kind of smile at them, like the Buddha would say, "I see you, Mara." Like, hi, hey. or you know, even invite Mara in for some tea, and but but not feed into it. You know, like, yeah. I I see you, and that's okay, and that's been important for me because. Um, I still have a lot of thoughts around with drugs and alcohol, you know, wanting to use this substance or that, or not just drugs and alcohol, but anything that's going to take me out of the feelings of unpleasantness. And I would certainly judge that. And, you know, just I I have some deeply rooted (laughs) self-worth issues um, and they still rear their ugly head. But Now I can learn to sit with them with the spirit of compassion and gentleness. Not always because I am so far from perfect. I still beat myself up, but on a good day. I can, you know, be present with them and hold them, you know, and, and hold space. And it doesn't mean that it's fun or pleasant, but it's not, I'm not negating them. I'm not pushing them away. I'm not creating more shadow material that will, you know, manifest itself in one way or another in my life. I'm able to reown them and reassociate them into my overall being, you know, and, and, and just allow them to be there. And that's been one of the healthiest and most difficult, but healthiest things I've learned to do. And it's crazy because I say difficult, but it's so simple because literally all you're doing is nothing. You're just letting it be there. The trick is letting it be there without attaching, identifying, feeding it, going into the story, like really adding fuel to that fire. Um and that's part of another one of the things I've really loved about your book is as you're talking about these experiences, you know, the myriad experiences you have of discomfort or whatever it is you're questioning and this and that, you're you're so candid about it. You know, you're you're letting readers know what's going on in your mind and you actually share that internal conversation. And at times I laughed while reading it, not because I'm laughing at you, but because Holy shit. Yeah. Same here. You know, like my heart's breaking for you, but I'm laughing because it's like, God damn, the human experience. Here we are. You know, we all think we're the only ones, you know, going through this, but no, we're not. So I, you know, I really appreciated that.
2: I love that. And I love how you, um, yeah, how you describe it's okay to have them, and it's okay to be in loving witness of them, and then to get lost in them and come back. It's like this toggling. Right. It's, it's messy sometimes, and sometimes yeah. we just lose. like the realness and the candidness of your journey with that, my journey with that. I think it does give people permission to not have shame around yeah. whatever impulses arise in them, from the darkest to the lightest. Right, right. that. that can be in relationship with our inner landscape in a way that um, if we i think the witness helps us slow down it gives us that moment of pause Mm. that moment of breath where we can make a wise choice of how to move into an unwholesome thought or feeling let's say and then to have other people on the path to for support for me to call Chris you know, and say, I'm losing it, man, and you can be that witness for me. All you have to do is just be that witnessing presence if I can't access it, and then my relationship with that unwholesome thought is transformed. Mm-hmm. We talk about what to do about it, do I need therapy, should I go on meds, should I change my diet? Then we start to work with that human self in a really loving way, mm-hmm. because like you said, we're all a mess on some level. <laughs>
1: We're human, right? We're that's, human. That's so well said. And and that's something I've struggled with for many years. Being introverted is reaching out when I can't do it myself. But I've learned the very hard way how necessary and also cathartic that is. You know, as you were just saying that, I remember about a year and a half ago when I was going through the initial stages of uh, my divorce, Um it was very tough. I had moved back to Connecticut from, I was living in Canada at the time. And I, that's when we
2: met you actually.
1: Yeah. It was right around that time. That Right,
2: right around that time. Yeah yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. It was an interesting time to meet me. It was really tough. Um, but I remember, uh, I'm very fortunate to have a close friend in Mirabai star and Mirabai Bush, both in, you know, the Maharaji Ram Das Satsang. But, uh, Mirabai Starr and I have had some really deep conversations. And I remember there was this time where we Skyped together after I just moved back. And, you know, she basically just went, l- listened. You know, I just kind of poured my soul out and cried that really the ugly cries. And, uh, and at the end, she's like, you know, there's not really anything I can tell you right now. But I am here and I am bearing a loving witness to your pain and what you're going through. And that's all I needed you know was for someone to hold that space that i couldn't hold for myself just like you said and you know we're fortunate when you start doing this kind of work you start to meet those kinds of people that are there to do that for, and they don't expect anything in return it's just it's who they naturally are you know and how blessed we are to have people like that in our lives so uh, i'm so glad you made that point and um and that's i still see a therapist to this day you know i have friends i can rely on but I need a therapist totally. <laughs> you know no, that. no none at all and I, I talk oh like, here I am saying it but I talk openly all the time about it like thank goodness I have that because I have like I said I have very trusted friends who you know have a lot of wisdom with these sorts of things but also that you know to have a trained therapist and one that I yes. certainly trust um you know finding the right therapist is key if that's yes. a route someone cares to take and yes. luckily I, I found that right therapist and I'm um, very happy about that. But yeah, like whatever means necessary, right? Like so but moving along, you know, yes. we we move into the next section of your book, um, where things start to get a little juicy, let's say. You know, it, it's called wild for a reason. Um, you know, it I, I appreciated right in the beginning, you're you start you're talking about emotions and you're seeing a teacher and she's describing them as Pockets of uh, energy and motion and, you know, certainly resonate with that. But then, you know, you're also discussing in this chapter a myriad of things, um, faith, free will, trying to find truth while struggling with your inner critic, which is something we, uh, you know, we've already talked about and we can all relate to. Um, And then your experience uh, of living your life as an escort for roughly three months and What I took away from that portion was at times it seemed um, freeing and exhilarating, yet also terrifying, you know, like uh, so I would certainly love to hear more about that because you're also still practicing at this point in your life. You know, it's it's not that you're just people hear that word escort and, and I don't mean to speak for anyone, but they might automatically associate that with stripper or rock bottom or addict or whatever but no you're you know you're in a relatively healthy stage of your journey you're just really questioning everything so um have at it where do where, where, what would you like to discuss <laughs> we could do a whole
2: podcast on them, I'm <laughs> i'm this alone
1: right i know i know <laughs>
2: what um, I would say now is that what you said is really true is it was part of my exploration um, and uh, specifically my exploration around relationship, around mas- masculine and feminine, around power, um, around authenticity, around intimacy, all of these, elements of our human relations and our human beingness. And I was studying in a Native American tradition when I met this woman who ran the escort service. Yeah, and sure. um, and I had the opportunity while I was exploring all the different elements of my own sexuality and the sacred prostitute is in there for me.
1: Sure,
2: I started studying about what a gift and what an honor it is to offer sexual pleasure just because of the beauty of pure sexual pleasure. No shame, no blame, no need, and I really, I think more than anything, and Stephen and I were just, um, we sometimes talk um, to groups about relationship and sexuality and spirituality, and we just met with a young group of people in London, and, and we were talking about this, and it was especially relevant for the Me Too right now, and the timeliness of all of the shadow material coming forward around around our sexuality and how we do power in relationship and intimacy and sex. And at that point in my journey, I was really feeling just my pure raw sexual self and the beauty of that. Mm -hmm. Without being a relation, like I don't need to be married, I don't need to have kids, and just my body's pleasure. Um, Whether I had an orgasm or not, it was just this this beauty of being in this human form. And I really had a lot of compassion for um, men, yeah. and how shame they are for their sexuality and part of the root of their their movement to to take it because they they need it on some level we all do on some level but especially the masculine testosterone driven sexuality and it was really for the most part a joy and a pleasure for me to meet with brothers and and honor their sexuality and not shame them in a very um, you know, like the contract and the boundary of, I'm going to be with you for an hour and you're going to give me these green pieces of paper and it's all yours. No different than when you go to a therapist or sure. I go get a massage, there's a clear agreement. And then there's an opportunity for, there was an opportunity for me to just, you know, bless and love a brother.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And why wouldn't I want to do that? Yeah. And you know, so there was a lot of learning for me at that point. And you can read in the book other areas of sexual exploration that I was doing. But the thread really goes back to open, right. Mm-hmm. And while it's like, being willing within set, you know, I don't recommend it for everybody, sure. you know, everybody's yeah. have their own, and I felt safe, I felt um, like, in those days, this is we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have so there was there was a risk to right. it. And the some fear around it, but I just rested in, in my confidence and my trusting, um, that this was, a that this was a wonderful opportunity for me. And yet at the same time, I was, ha- I was in a very, um, abusive personal relationship, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Okay.
2: There's the, there's the, the polarity there, right. Or there's the, the other side. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's anything else to say about that.
1: What, let me ask you, so it lasted roughly three months and yeah. how did you know when your time with that was up? What, what was it for you that you, you said, you know what, I've learned all I can from this and, um, and it's time for me to move on.
2: That's a great, great question. And I think that's a, that's something that all of us, um, you know, are challenged by when to, when to stop or when, when to say yes or when to say no Right. For- it was honestly the other relationship the personal relationship that drove me to go sit for with Sam to go move into a very still and simple and uncomplicated life to source that inner self right more the personal relationship than the escorting to be honest um so so it was a it was really a combination of it was just time for me to go in um had that not come up I may have worked for a while longer yeah you know
1: well, I appreciate how much you own that part of your life, you know, because a lot of people just like the addict, you know, i I still meet people that don't openly admit they'll email me and say thank you for your work. This or that. I'm still not in a place in my life where I can openly or I feel I can openly talk about this because of the stigma and the shame. And that breaks my heart, you know, like that that is still there in the world. Like as long as you're not harming yourself or others like Who is anyone to judge you? Now, addiction, of course, you are harming yourself. I mean, literally, I can't tell you how many people I know that have lost their lives. Um, And you're harming your loved ones and and so on. But um, at the end of the day, if you come out of the other side of that then that's wonderful you know that builds character that gives you strength and that's why for me it's so important to own that and for you i like i said i really appreciate that you own that no shame like you have no shame in that that was a very big part of your growing process and i deeply honor that i um i you know i i wish there were more people that spoke to that i know someone in maine who uh wrote an article a few years ago she's now in an interfaith seminary and i lost touch with her we I think we talked last year, but she used to be a stripper and, um, and she claimed that, you know, though, unfortunately she had some negative experiences at the end that was like, I need to leave this. Um, but you know, she entered, uh, this interfaith seminary and she wrote a really moving article for, I don't remember if it was tricycle or Shambhala, but they published it and I'm so glad they did. And, you know, she was owning that part and, and, you know, it's time we own these parts of ourselves and,
2: And to recognize that, you know, our Puritan values, you know, Mm -hmm. really, um, color our healthy relationship with our bodies and Mm -hmm. our sexuality and our, so there's a lot, a lot more we could say and unpack around that. And, Mm -hmm. and no way do I want to diminish the women and men out there that have resorted to, you know, working as uh, in the sex trade, um, for in not good environments and not, you know, as a desperate act that, um, I have a lot of compassion and, um, and yeah, it's a totally different experience.
1: Absolutely, it is. Um, and so, we we can move on from that. What I would recommend, though, again, is first of all, pick up this book, period, just because it's amazing. But there is so much more to that part of Sarah's story, and um, and again, it's just very captivating. But I'm glad we got to chat a little bit about it. But yeah. moving on, so so you yeah. mentioned Sam and moving, and this is the section called Still. Where you move to Oregon, you know, you're leaving this toxic relationship, which you just mentioned, and you're moving, you know, to be with this, this new gentleman who you will now go on unbeknownst to you to spend many years with, um, learning quite a bit about deepening your own spiritual practice. Also, I love how you're very open about your struggling with self-sabotaging early on because, Good God. I was just talking about that with my therapist two weeks ago because something I learned from Noah Levine a while back, and it's not like it's any huge revelation for probably most people, but it was for me, is that especially as someone in recovery, we don't just go back to these substances that harm us when things are bad. We also go back to them when things are good because we don't feel worthy of them. And that was such a big thing for me towards the end. I couldn't understand why I would go back to that stuff i didn't want to i didn't like it. I wasn't depressed yet there I was returning to that. So I appreciated you addressed the self sabotaging and then again, you also you're continuing working with asana yoga, pranayamic breathing techniques, meditation healthy eating, you talk about a vision quest, lengthy, isolated retreats, like you're, you're really in the thick of it now at this journey in your life. So let's talk a little bit about that experience. Again, yeah, wherever you want to go with that, there's so much to unpack, but oh
2: my God. Yeah. well, um, I'll piggyback on what you're saying about the self-sabotage. Cause I think that's important for the listener. Most people won't get the opportunity to spend 10 years in retreat, sure. um, right. in the way that I did. And in a way it was a real luxury, Um, but what I would say is that the regular practice and, and the devotion, I remember Gangaji once saying, um, that the sincerity of our intent will carry us, right? That just, and Sam would say that to me, there were times I would say to Sam, like, I can't I couldn't have done this without you. I can't believe people live in the world and try to meditate at the same time. It's too crazy. How do you have a job or kids or and he would say to me he would say it's not true. It's it's in you. And as long as you keep feeding that sincere yearning for, you know what we said Ken says waking up, growing up and showing up, yeah. you will be you will be held, you will be guided, you will be And I always thought that was kind of woo-woo and new-agey, but it really, as I look back over the, I'll be 55 next week, you know, my 55 years, it really is true.
1: You can't argue with experience, right? (laughs) You
2: can't argue with that. And the self-sabotage is a real experience for all of us, no matter what our makeup, no matter what our childhood experience. And so I love being able to say, hey, guys, it's not like like you said earlier. It's not like the thoughts go away. We're just going to cultivate a new kind of relationship with them and see what beauty we can create and what magic we can create. And so those years with Sam were a real training ground for me. And in self history, I really underscore the importance of having a practice. I, but but I, you can create the practice that suits you, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a rigid, you know, use these beads or wear these clothes or mm-hmm. do this mantra or, you know, it's, it's, to understand what you're trying to do, to, to learn the map, which is why I love Ken's work so much, to understand, to orient yourself on the map. If you're lost, the first thing you want to do is just, first of all, sit down and get your bearings. Stop running around like a lunatic. If you're lost in the forest, you're just going to get more lost. Right. And, and figure out, you know, do you have a map? Do you have a compass? Can you see the stars? Where's the sun rising? Like, orient yourself. And, and so once you learn that the journey is about finding your way and what the pieces are in order to do that. Then there's the joy of the journey, which is the destination, you and I know. Um, so um so the time of still was really me, what Sam said to me was, you know, enough of 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 going out for your answers, just sit down, shut up, and listen for a while, and some you'll find your answers. And there's deep truth to that. And so Um, I took those years to really be still and be quiet. And like we said earlier, allow the witness to arise. And then over time, that fundamental ground, that emptiness that Adyashanti talks about, you know, that stillness, that fundamental ground of being for to rest as that was really where the deepest healing
1: came yeah which is beautiful and you had an experience oh you had many experiences during that time obviously but one um you didn't go too much in depth in this but it it reminded me when I read it of a discussion I heard between Eckhart Tolle and Tammy Simon and you talked about 9-11 and you're saying how you're you're relatively isolated now not relatively you're pretty isolated for a number of years and 9-11 9/11 happens, and I remember if if I remember correctly, you had Sam bring you to a hotel because you felt the need to see a TV to to you know to see what's going on, and uh, you'd mentioned the um, hearing reports of people jumping out of windows and um and I you know when I was reading that I remembered that Eckhart Tolle had an interview scheduled with Tammy Simon on 9/11, which she assumed they were going to cancel um, because obviously no one knew what was going to happen that day. And Eckhart kept the interview, and they talked about it. And it's, yeah, it's powerful. They released it, I believe, as a two-part disc called Even the Sun Will Die. Um, Really wonderful conversation. Wow. But what I loved about it is that Tammy kind of, I think, takes Eckhart a little off guard at one point and asks him, you know, do you feel like, you know, 'cause he's he often talks about the awakening of consciousness and how it's blossoming and I wouldn't argue with that. You know, on the other side there's also the ever growing terror threats and the darkness is looming too. But Tammy makes this really wonderful point of do you do you fear and this isn't verbatim, I'm you know, just something to this effect, but do you fear that people are in these circles are kind of encapsulating themselves in these bliss bubbles let's say again not her words but like these bubbles where they tend to forget because they're just surrounding themselves with awakening and love and light and this and that that there is real tragedy that's happening and i honestly don't recall i mean he did concede that point to her and um but that that made me think of that you know as you talked about having that experience, I, I, you mentioned Sam came in, I think he turned on the radio NPR and that's when you needed to go or felt the need to go be with that and see it. So what was that experience like for you? Like I said, you didn't write much about it, but did it, did it have any kind of impact for you um, in realizing like, wow, I've been so isolated for a while. There are still things outside that are happening and that's part of life you know the the dualistic house or the dual housed within the non-dual um as again Shanti who you mentioned might say
2: yeah another beautiful question and what i would say to that is is that um when we truly and genuinely access that fundamental ground of being right that that essence of who we are um what i discovered in my um resting as that is that it is what inspired me to then move back out into life and into the world um the same is not true for sam right he has a different path so for me what i would say is that that um it's like Resting there, it's like Ram Dass says, death is perfectly safe, right? Mm-hmm. There's there's this 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 unconditional loving presence, like for real, not in a woo woo way, right? I think some of what Tammy was speaking to is people who are who are intent, well intentioned, but running around in another identification with love and light and truth and aren't really authentically yet. Accessing that genuine fundamental ground of awareness of loving awareness, we could call it. I like the word source or emptiness because <laughs> even putting love on it can kind of you know yeah. we are, we you know we have to define terms. But there's this there's this um, connection of that to life. Right? That then for me, it just broke my heart open and it was like, oh, this is what I needed, right? The stillness. Not so that I can die as Sarah into it, but so that I can live as Sarah from it. And as I live from Sarah from it, I can hold the dark and the light of Sarah just like I can hold the dark and the light in the world. I can hold the terrorists and the Trumps and the, and, and the Hitlers and I can hold the Gandhis and I can hold the Ramana Maharshis and I can hold the Mother Teresas and recognize that they live inside of me and go back to that witness place where we started this conversation, where, where I if I have to locate free will anywhere, I'll locate it there, but we can have another discussion. <laughs> about that i can choose whether to act on 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 the darkness or or the unwholesomeness i want to say or the wholesomeness the generativity and the creativity and i'm choosing that i'm choosing that for the rest of the years that i have here but i do feel like and i and i imagine you'll you'll agree with me that part of what you and i are doing is 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 trying to get people to genuinely access that fundamental ground to recognize the importance of that even as they're cleaning house right mm-hmm. even as they're cleaning up and growing up and showing up, you know, that there's awakening, you know, a waking up that is essential that the two of them create this dynamic quality of our human beingness that is so beautiful and so fun yeah. and so blessed, so yeah. blessed.
1: Oh, that's so beautifully said. I love that. And so, so like you said, you know, that kind of was the beginning of an inspiration for you to, to get back into the world. And the next section is called Awake, and Um, and this, we already touched on some of this, but again, I'll just recap it and and let you go where you go. But, um, I love how in the beginning of that, you talk about a drawing you were doing of a turtle with eight sections on its tail and how it kind of, in that moment, it was leading you to this understanding that all religions originate from the same truth. Um, and then in your words, I loved how you worded this. So I made a note and they spiral out into their own unique creation stories and belief systems, which couldn't agree more and and again we've kind of already chatted about that but you also discuss you know at this point you're you're um now studying neoplatism you're really exploring emptiness which has come up a few times which you know that can be a real hot topic for those in the spiritual community um you know and what that actually means on the ultimate level of things um you also go on to talk about claiming your new name of sarah with an H and that's something I think I would love for you to chat about. But you also mentioned the realization uh, and which we talked about earlier of you're taking care of your spiritual self for years, but not your physical self um, with an experience of a bear and some cubs. If I remember correctly, again, it's been a little while since I read your book, but I remember that was very fascinating. And then, and this is a lot in this one section, again, just giving an overview, but as it goes on, you're, you're realizing that, um, you know the the relationship with sam is beginning to drift apart this is where we're introduced to steve also towards the end of the chapter who also then introduces you to zenroshi and is it junpo junpo, junpo. yeah um yeah. so uh, again i know a lot in there um but for readers that's an overview of this section but maybe if you want to talk about uh reclaiming Sarah with an H like I know that you know you were thinking of different names and this and that like what why did you what led to that why did that need to happen for you what was the significance and importance there
2: well <clears throat> it's interesting so my birth name was Lisa yep. and um and then when I went into retreat Sam nicknamed me Detroit because right. I was from Detroit yep. which okay. I really loved that um actually that's fit. cute yeah, yeah. It was very fun. And um, what what I, you know, I guess what, how I would say it right now is that, given everything we've said so far in this conversation, is that at some point I thought the witness was who I really was. And what happened for me in that three-month silence and solo journey was that I realized that actually the witness was just the um, – the harbinger, or the caretaker, or the 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 um, lead for the authentic me to come forward. I'm not articulating that well, but that was Sarah. Sarah. It was like Sarah was buried underneath the witness. It was like the witness had to clear the space and say, "Okay, you're not this. You're not this. You're not these thoughts or beliefs or your history or your ancestry or your parents or and all those were Lisa in my mind, right?" Yeah. All You know, represented Lisa. And so once I had this realization that the witness was kind of like the pivot for to help me awaken to Sarah, like this underlying, authentic little girl who really just wants to live a human life, but but needed the connection to emptiness in order to do that is what I would say. Mm-hmm. And so I took the name Sarah to represent this this authentic self that wants to come forward. And and then as you mentioned through a series of events, Sam was really going in a different direction. He really wants to die in the emptiness. He's not interested in his Samness at all. And so I had to come to the realization that that's not true for me. And that goes back to again, trusting my own knowing, right? And being willing to, took me a few years to actually come to really say, okay, I'm going back in the world and I'm going to live from this new place inside of myself, which is when I met my husband who introduced me to Jumpo, And since then all these amazing people, people like you um, who are on this path and who share Ken Wilber, the whole integral community really helped what they did was really beautiful was they le- it's not like they legitimized, but that culture and that community really like I was a little bit embarrassed like I was in retreat for 10 years like people are going to think I'm really weird you know sure. and now wow. I'm this educator and I'm in the world and I'm a grandmother and I you know I get my hair done I get my nails done and I you know connected with my family again and all this stuff and it's like What Ken does is he says all those have their place and wanna be integrated. And he maps it in such a beautiful way. Um, And Junpo also, who's a dear friend who we're actually gonna see tomorrow, and and I would love for you to meet him at some point and maybe interview okay. him. He's got a wild, wild story, oh, cool. um, okay. very similar to ours in his own unique way. But I'll just share one more story because I know we're going to have to um, come to a, a closing here yeah. at some point. Thank is you. that just to share um, the theme of my relationship with my mother through the story? Very challenging as a, yeah. a as a child, and and then when I was in retreat all those years. And this was something that. I felt we had in common about just the heartbreak our families went through based upon our journeys, right? Um, that um, she, uh, so I changed my name, and that was kind of hard for my parents, right? Yeah. Because, and and so my mother now, my father has passed and um, has died, I wanna use that word, my father has died. Yeah. And um, my mother now has pretty severe dementia, um, which, which is heartbreaking, but also beautiful in a way, because it's almost like 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 her identity is shattered enough that there's this authenticity that can come through. This it's very sweet. It's very if we don't have an idea of how we're supposed to be. There's some miracle in, in in that as well. But recently I was having a conversation with her and because she doesn't really remember quite who we are. All of us kids, there's five of us. And so at one point I just felt inspired to say mom I have a question, she said, yeah, I said, I just want you to know, like, if you prefer to call me Lisa, like, that's okay. You know, I want if you remember me more as Lisa or Sarah, I just want to, you know, give you permission, because I didn't know where her brain, you know, with dementia, especially, they can remember the past more, maybe she didn't know who Sarah was or something. And what she said was so beautiful, Chris, she said, she stopped for a moment. And she was like, yeah well I I remember Lisa she said but I really love Sarah wow and yeah mm. and- and i was just like okay mom you call me whatever you want i just i love you and so there's this real beautiful heart connection between her and i so so and that kind of encapsulates like lisa's all right but sarah is my soul is my heart is the name of of me and she is able to yeah. really love me for
1: who I am oh, so beautifully said and and beautifully written too because you you go into depth about that and there's an experience with you in the mirror and um some really powerful stuff so again um I really cannot recommend this book enough. <laughs> I truly love it, but you 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 segue nicely into the end, and you kind of covered most of it was you mentioned you know the the i would say unfortunate but it's not its life I mean of course it's unfortunate, but your father's passing it seemed that that brought some reconciliation, however um amongst some family as well, which that's beautiful you and Steve um continue your relationship and end up, uh, you actually talked to him about getting married, which um, I remember reading he was shocked. I think you were on a beach or something when that happened and, uh, uh, or at least talking about it. But then one thing that um, seemed very Uh, To have a very deep impact, and I mean it would anyone, but on both a physical and uh, almost esoteric level, was um, when you and Steve were in Thailand, and you were there with, uh, I believe it was his daughter, if I remember correctly, and you... It was very interesting. You had this feeling something was off and uh, you guys had a boat ride to get to a location and the boat was late. Now again, I, it's been a while since I read so I, I apologize if this if this is in, okay. So you, you get there and Steve says like, yeah, I kind of sense it too. And next thing you know, you're at your, your location and you see these huge waves coming towards you. And Steve uh, takes his daughter and runs and you kind of Freeze you start to run, but you freeze, and um then you get the water up to your i don't know your knees or something, and you get hit with uh some i don't know if it was a something and it sh- it shakes you out of it and then Steve is calling for you and and luckily obviously you're here, you live through it at this point you're not sure what's going on is it a tidal wave is there an earthquake somewhere, and later we find out um I don't know if that part was an actual tidal wave or if it was a tsunami. I knew there were tsunamis based on that huge earthquake that I'm sure most listeners remember that killed countless numbers of people. It was a real tragedy. Um, But this had such a deep impact on you, you know, like you say at one point something to the effect of in a way that solidified things for you and Steve on a very deep level. Um, So I thought that might be a nice way to kind of end the conversation or we'll, we'll, Talk about that. And then, of course, I want to give you the final word on anything we didn't discuss. But, um, you know, that was that was very powerful for me as a reader, at least. Um, So I can't even begin to imagine the impact that experience had on you on every level. So if you're cool with sharing a bit about that, I'd love to hear directly from you about that.
2: Yeah, that was huge. That was that was the big tsunami of two thousand and four in Thailand, and Christmas time. And um, I had I was fresh out of retreat, so still very much adjusting to being in the world. And you have to understand that when I came out of retreat, I didn't have money. I didn't have I hadn't. I've been out of the workforce for almost a dozen years at that point. I had no connection with my family, no friends. Um, So I was really kind of this newborn um, coming into the world. And um, by the grace of of god goddess whatever um stephen came into my life and um we've been together ever since though who knew at the time right Right. that's an interesting story but i said to him he loves he loves to travel he loves travel culture food um he's really quite um quite a beautiful chaperone in that regard and so i said to him at some point i said you know will you take me on one of your trips because i i want to feel going back to like the the how Lisa was open to figuring out the answers to these big questions Sarah is just as open to now being human and and coming back into the world so I'm like take me on a trip and let me feel that let me feel that in my body and he said okay I'm going to Thailand in Christmas I'm taking my daughter with me and and why don't you come along Mm, and Thailand would not have been my first choice I was I was kind of thinking like take me to Italy or take you know (laughs) somewhere romantic (laughs) Thailand oh no I I don't I don't know that culture I'm not drawn to that culture, which I now am deeply in love with. Um, So anyways, the long story short is we ended up on a beach in um, an island called Konai in the Adaman Sea. Um, And when the tsunami hit, um, we were on the side of the island where we didn't get the direct hit of the tsunami, but it was almost like we got the 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 rise of the water level and then the backwash Mm. in a way Mm. once it hit the shore and came back so it was a 10 foot wave instead of a 30 foot wave otherwise i most certainly would be dead Um, but a 10 foot wall of water coming at you is quite astounding sure Um, And so for me, what it was we were on the beach at the time and yes, you relay the story very well, very good memory and you can read about it in in the book um, is that there for me there was a moment of of it was kind of that life or death like do I really want to be in the world or do I really want to die into emptiness like okay, you have a choice point here and 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 I made the choice to live and at the same time that I made the choice to live, what living means is a recognition of death. And mm-hmm. and you and I talked about the possibility of having death as an advisor, which is a Castanadian term, right. be a the theme of our conversation today. And, and kind of bringing that through was that I recognized that as I stepped back into life, it means that I had to step into honoring death as part of that cycle. Because that tsunami did not you know, care, whether you were black or white, whether you were old or young, whether you were male or female, it took, and that's where where I didn't know if I could do it. Like, I didn't know if I could live with the heartbreak of what nature does and what humans do to each other. But in that moment, it was kind of like this fusion for me of, well, I know that death is perfectly safe. So it's not that I'm scared about it. What I'm really scared about is living. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, in that moment, I said, I'm I'm saying yes to life. And the way that Steven handled himself in that crisis showed me that he was the kind of man that I wanted to walk next to in life and the depth of his own spiritual journey and his own awakening matched mine. And so it was a recognition of that moment as well of like, wow, I think, you know, I think you're my guy, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, and, um, so it was kind of this beautiful, um, um, you know, just kind of conclusion or moment. It was a beautiful moment in the journey of my life where I knew I was, I was back into life and I didn't know what it was going to look like. And there's another, you know, section of when our grand first granddaughter is born. And I, that's another theme in the book of just of, of owning my choice to not have children and feeling <sighs> empowering other women to make that choice and, and not have shame around it. And yet at the same time being able to grieve that I didn't take that path. Right. am not
1: right.
2: going to grief again, that vanilla ice cream, not having it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, as you're saying we, that
1: I, I remember um, I'm trying to pull it up because I remember the way you ended it. You're talking about that. Um, Edie is, uh, her name, correct? And yes. I, re- I remember, I love the way you ended the book. Um, that's why I'm pulling it up. Cause I don't want to bo- butcher this. Um, but you're talking about a conversation with her and, um, and how uh, it's, I, we are running out of time, but you know, she's talking about being your, her grandmother or something to that effect. And, um, The last, just the very end of it, and this is how the book ends, and I love this. You say, I'll help you as much as I can, Edie, I tell her. And then it goes on to say, I was born and broken for this. I lift her head off my shoulder and hold her out in front of me. Her eyes are wide open. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And sorry, spoiler alert, there's the end of the book. But I absolutely (laughs) love that. I, I mean, tears the first time I read that. It was just like, what a poignant way to end an incredible story. And then what I appreciate it as well as you, you do, um, I forgot what the name of the section was, but it's like a kind of uh, epilogue now you call it. And, uh, and yeah, you just bring us up to speed, which you kind of already have done. And, and here you and Stephen are now, and you're married and, um, you each, What what's beautiful is I know you each travel often together, often on your own. So you have this really wonderful relationship where you both honor one another, um, your togetherness and your individuality, and uh, and that's incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. So I am honored to know the two of you. I I love you guys so much, and that's after just meeting you once, and uh, but having communication since then. Um, so this has been a pleasure. Like I did say, I like to always give the guest the 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 last thought. If there's anything regarding the book we didn't cover, if there's anything in general. Um, that you wanted to share. Um, the floor is yours to to bring us to a close.
2: Well, what is arising for me in this moment is the value of having conversations like this mm-hmm. that you and I've had for the last hour or so and and to to recognize that that we're all struggling with the same issues around finding our way on some level and that to begin to have more of these kind of conversations where we where we share openly where we inquire together where we explore where we listen deeply listen to one another learn from one another support one another is really what brings my heart um, tremendous joy. And it's at the center of both of our work, right? We, we essentially, we talk to people, but it's more than just talking. It's engaging. It's, it's, it's a depth of intimacy. Intimacy isn't about sex. Intimacy is about connection. It's about honesty. It's about transparency and vulnerability and all of these core values that make us human. And so what I would like to close on is an invitation to join Chris and I in this conversation and to meet us in the world online in whatever form feels good to you and continue to engage in this conversation with us and in your own lives, with your loved ones, with your friends, with your co-workers, that we together right, might rise as, 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 as the potential that we have to be exquisitely human in these times. Um, and that's how I would want to end this time together.
1: I feel like I want to take that and make it a a snippet and end all the rest of my podcast with it. I love that. Sarah, you are an incredible woman. Um, This has been a truly, truly pleasurable conversation. Um, I'm so glad we were finally able to put it together. I thank you for your presence and work in the world and your time and uh, sharing your experience and wisdom with our listeners today. And, uh, I'm sure I'll have to have you back on the show, um, whether it's about this book or hopefully we'll get another book from you. And uh, but again, on its way. Okay, I love it. So selfistry.com is the website is the book on its way soon or is it just being worked on it's i'm pregnant with it so okay. i'll let you know yeah. i
2: appreciate know when hit. Yep. i love it.
1: okay well definitely keep me posted on that we'll have you back on for that or for whatever else it's just a pleasure um so again thank you very much the book it's called being selfish and unorthodox memoir my journey from escort to monk to grandmother sarah marshank is the author visit her at her website show her lots of love because that's what she's showing us and uh and i thank you again sarah so much
2: thank you chris so much love so much